Welcome to a very special edition of Beyond the Checkbox, where we're bringing mental wellness to leaders to bring to their organization through uh, leadership conversations and illustrating the power it can have for organizational performance. I'm your guest host today, Jason Gottwalt, our VP of Growth here at Headversity, stepping in for Dr. Ryan Todd. And most excitingly, we're going to have a conversation today with Leanne Ng, who's the Director of Global Wellness and Benefit Strategy at Omer's Oxford. Well, I am very excited to be the first guest host of Beyond the Checkbox and uh, even more excited to be able to have a conversation with Leanne Ng. Leanne, hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Jason? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good morning. Um, and uh, for, for everyone listening in and watching, uh, I'm our VP of Jason Gottwald, our VP of uh, growth here at Headversity, and uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to work within the corporate well-being space for about the last 11 years, and uh, in HR in general uh, for about 13. Um, uh, and, and today we're going to be talking just about that, like we do every day, every time on here and on check the, uh, beyond the checkbox. How can we bring mental wellness to our organizations as leaders, and uh, how can we learn about strategies through stories uh, and frontline leaders and leaders such as yourself, Leanne, uh, who've had a wonderful career in health promotion, in health and wellness, um, understanding benefit strategy, etc. Uh, for our guests, for our audience, could you, uh, you know, you have a wonderful career from really interestingly uh, with the Canadian Cancer Society uh, quit, quit specialist, and I want to learn more about that, and then focused in the well-being field, uh, grew a career with uh, top consultancies, uh, you had Sun Life, Mercer, Willis Towers Watson, Mercer again, uh, and now the Global uh, Director of Wellness and Benefit Strategies for OMERS. So tell us a little bit about uh, your journey to where you're at with OMERS and of course a little bit about your work with OMERS. Yeah, Jason, more than happy to. So um, it almost sounds like we're talking at my retirement. So I just like had this weird flash forward and <laughs> like accomplished anything really. But with that in mind, um, yeah, quit specialist. So I, I studied uh, at the University of Western Ontario, now just Western University. Um, and my full intent was to become a medical doctor. And I had an aha moment. Uh, during one of my annual physicals. And I thought maybe, you know, that's not the way I wanted to go. So I didn't have my mind made up one way or another in terms of what my future held after graduating. So I saw this posting from the Canadian Cancer Society for their Smokers Helpline. And the quit specialist story is that, you know, I fell in love. Um, I guess that's where I fell in love in terms of population health promotion and had my other aha moment in terms of wouldn't it be great if there was something we could do for a captive audience 
as opposed to forcing message or trying to get that message across to a larger population? What about if it's just a group of key workers? So that's where I started my journey into focusing on, you know, um, organizational wellness, organizational um, health, and here we are. So it's it's been a journey, like any journey, bumps along the way. But I'm I'm very excited to be here with you today. But excited to be here at Omer's Oxford as their uh, director of global benefits and wellness. Wonderful. Um, you know, when I, I was looking even further back into your career, I know we've had a number of conversations to date. Um, you know, I saw quit specialist and I'm thinking, okay, you know, quitting smoking, we're talking about changing behaviors and changing behaviors at scale. Uh, like you said, population health, uh, into wellness, into corporate well-being, uh, concentrated populations, if you will. What were maybe, if you can describe for everyone, were there some key moments along your um, career with different employers or in different roles? Because you, you were with the Ministry of Health too, with the Ontario Ministry of Health and, and Health Promotion and, and Sport. Um, were there were there key milestones or or projects that you worked on that really progressed? Uh, your work forward and your understanding of the needs uh, in in the uh, in the workplace. I, I couldn't. I can't really pinpoint one way or another what key moments were. I, I just always saw sort of the next stepping stone. And you know, for the listeners, I, I will say that you know, very very fortunate, very um, and and recognize you know that. Um, as I grew my career, because I know not everyone has the opportunity to stay within one field for a, a good chunk of time. But um, I would say, you know, with each growth opportunity for me was always being willing to, number one, being challenged and being step, stepping outside of my comfort zone, um, even though myself, I know us as humans, we are resistant to change so much. And this goes back to that sort of behavior in terms of seeing behavior change, Um I found that's when, you know, when, when I went down that, that road to uncomfortability, it was where I found those key moments in terms of being able to have other avenues, doors, windows open to me in terms of what, what else could I do or go with this career. So I would say just being open and knowing that, you know, the world is your oyster and having that really positive mindset, no matter, you know, what is thrown your way, just knowing that, you know, just having that inherent trust that things will work out. Wonderful. Uh, you mentioned a couple things there um, that were important for your journey. Um, recognizing challenges that that may be called for your uh, expertise and your interest and your curiosity and getting outside of your comfort zone. Um, and uh, so wonderful, you know, that's that's how we grow, getting outside of our comfort zone. So I know you and I have talked quite a bit around, of course, mental health in the workplace, mental wellness. And we've talked about uh, particularly burnout. Uh, we hear it a lot from leaders. We've seen more and more studies come out around uh, a high percentage. You know, I've seen a recent one in the U.S., 76 percent of employees reporting feeling burnout. Um, and we hear the vocabulary around burnout quite a bit. The term is being used quite often. Um, so there's an interesting dynamic there, I think, between, you know, how far do we challenge ourselves? How far do we get outside of our comfort zone? What does that look like? What does that require um, as an individual contributor to an organization? 
or to progress our career or progress just our learning journey in general, our personal journey. And, uh, and how does that you know, dynamic play with the, the very real workplace phenomenon of, of burnout? Um, so I, I want to dig deeper into that specifically. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions around burnout at a leadership level and at an individual employee level. I know I have a lot of questions. And, um, but you know, what is that term, when I say burnout uh, to you, Leanne, uh, what does that mean to you based on, on your career thus far? And, and what does that mean to Omers? Mm -hmm. You know, from a personal standpoint, Jason, I, I will fully raise my hand and say that like very many people have experienced burnout at multiple stages throughout my career. Um, and I think it's normal that we talk about it and be open about it, right? Because I think when folks, and I know there's stigma still exists around mental health, mental well-being, but burnout specifically, especially in high performing cultures, I think folks are really scared to say I'm burnt out. I need a break. I need to take a step back. I need to offload projects or what have you. I think we need to start changing that narrative and start being comfortable when folks put up their hand and say help that, you know, us as people leaders, us as employers need to really be aware have that empathy and have a concrete plan of action, whether it's from an individual standpoint or collectively from an organizational standpoint. And I will also say that it's a two-way street, right? Like anything else in life and any partnership relationship. Um, yes, you know, individuals may own and have personal attributes or personality traits that, you know, um, liken them to, to burnout more strongly than other folks. But also it's important that we look within organizations to see what we can do, not only to be leaders, but to, you know, again, have folks be comfortable, have our employees, have our colleagues step forward and raise their hand and say help. So this is part of building that psychologically safe workforce, right? That we all hear about, not only from a national standard standpoint, but looking at the work that Amy Edmondson has done, you know, sort of setting that foundation that it's okay to fail. It's okay to have and be authentic and raise your hand and, and you know, come to the table. Uh, that you may be facing personal, professional, or otherwise. And I think when folks hear the word burnout, they feel like, oh, okay, maybe you know, it's just a point in time. They just need a few days rest or take a week's vacation and everything will be okay. That is not the truth, right? I think those of us who've experienced it, those of us who work with it know that's not the case. It is, you know, again, it needs time to, for folks to recover and it's tough. It is so tough. I think, you know, we liken it to like a virus cold or the flu and then you know once it's done it's done but you have to as an individual build in those behaviors to make sure that you are changing over time own them whatever you know whatever they may be so whether it's better work life balance learning to say no um or you know from an organizational standpoint yes we have to be committed to it because this is one of the biggest i would say risks that exist especially you know, as we don't know what's going on with COVID and, and how we're going to come out of it, or if, you know, we're ever going to come out of it, depending on what, what happens over the next few months. That's interesting. Um, unlike a common cold, let's say, where I'm not feeling well uh, because I have a cough or a headache or a minor fever or something such as that, um, it, where, where it's prescribed, take a couple of days off and rest, 
it doesn't doesn't work the same with burnout. And I've I've read a, a bunch of articles and studies around that. It's it you can't just sleep it off, um, which might be maybe thought of as the solution. Okay, I've been working long hours. I've been on this project a long time. It's been you know we're trying to get it off the ground. It's been a year and a half, and we're almost at the finish line. And I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm feeling less engaged in this project. I just want it over with. You know. Soon as we're done, I'll take a couple of days off, and everything should be okay, back to normal. But that's not really the case. Um, can you? So I, I think, to my own experience, especially ever since we we've started talking about this, you and I, have I experienced burnout? You know, have am I experiencing it right now, and and not recognizing it, and trying to push through it uh, because there's a lot of things I want to accomplish within my career, within adversity. Um, there's a lot to do. And, uh, that requires a lot of work and a lot of hours. Um, and I, I'm not sure. Have I, I, I felt exhausted at times. I've, uh, I don't know if I felt distanced from, uh, my job or anything like that, but you know, has there been points in which my efficiency or my productivity has suffered because of exhaustion, because of potentially, uh, feelings of burnout? Yeah, probably. Um, have maybe you, you mentioned throughout your career you'd had had experienced burnout or identified at least at that point or or in in hindsight that you had can you describe what what that might feel like for someone who like myself who who doesn't know mm -hmm. um yeah yeah more than happy to and and you know owning that this is my own personal experience of course feel different and, and look different depending on the individual but for me, when, when you're sort of running through some of the, the symptoms or signs, um, being fatigued, not just physically, but mentally tired, like you just have nothing left in the tank, running on fumes is the way that I, I feel it. Um, and all I want to do is basically sleep. So my first experience with burnout was very early in my career. And I really admit that, you know, I need to own my, my own actions and behaviors. And it's taking me, you know, a long time to do so actively in therapy to, to not only manage that, but also, you know, I have general anxiety disorder with depressive episodes that that's part and parcel to it. But for me, it's sleeping. If I find myself, and, and this is where I, I know I'm going down a slippery slope, right? We, we, Jason, you talked about my experience, it, am I, you know, I, I have things I need to accomplish in my job on a day-to-day -day basis or, on, you know, with regards to what my plan is. But for me, as a driver, as a type A individual, being ambitious, sometimes I don't know when to stop. So I typically, and I've learned this, that when I start sleeping or start basically cocooning myself in my bed, literally cocooning myself, that is a warning sign for me. And if I tend to ignore that sign, then it's a rapid decline into, you know, just a full on spiral. So, you know, negative thoughts around work. Um, we all vent. It's normal. But sometimes it, it becomes excessive. Um, I know I'm not a happy person. You can feel it. Right. You have this sense of apathy. Um very testy as well. Just not, I mean, obviously professionally, I, I'm, you know, I like to think I'm professional and put that, that front on, but at home, I find my patients to be very, very thin uh, when I am in that burnout range. 
And then, you know, it's gone to the point where I've needed to take time off because that burnout has been so um, extensive, not only in terms of the feelings, but the length of time that it's led to, um, you know, my anxiety creeping up and and depression kicking in. So it's needing to take a step literally away from work, um, whether it was two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks in order to get back to a healthy state. The key insight there for me is understanding you, you, you've been able to identify your personal warning signs, I think is the term that you used. What are the things um, just as a human being for yourself, as Leanne Ng, as a leader, what, are, what, what is that warning sign for you, of course, uh, around sleep? Um, and now, how did you get to that warning sign? Was it because you, you mentioned a, a kind of a downward spiral? Um, and I think a lot of us can, can relate to that. Um, was it in retrospect and just being curious about that downward spiral and then, okay, now I know it's the warning sign. Did it take? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, if I could, if I'm counting correctly, I've been, you know, in burnout maybe three, four times and okay. I always feel like I, you know, I'm maybe creeping close and, and that's where, to your point, you have to be aware of those signs. Um, but it, it is very much ensuring um and it is retrospectively like i wish everyone had a barometer you know with sort of a a gauge saying warning 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 time to take a time out but that's not the reality it is retrospectively and quite honest after four bouts of it um i'm still learning new things about myself things change and evolve over time as do we but it is very much you know looking back sometimes folks need help professional help to look back and identify what those traits and behaviors are um and another one for me was you know not really not taking care of myself so not working out i like to go to the gym jason we've talked about this not a runner i will only run if you know my life is in danger to be quite honest but um and i don't i don't adhere to regular meals like there'd be times i I would be working until one o'clock in the morning, haven't had dinner. My husband would seriously forcefully close my laptop and place a meal in front of me to eat, whatever it was. So again, you know, we all have to, to sort of take inventory in terms of what our, you know, what our true North is, but also what, what those warning signs are. And it's tough. It is so tough. Well, I mean, good on you to, to take that time to self-assess. Um, that's something I need to personally practice a little bit more. I get through it. Maybe it was a rocky. Maybe it very likely I need to do kind of a a look back. But I was working through burnout and didn't identify and didn't take the opportunity to identify what were maybe those warning signs, um, which thankfully I will do. Um, do we? So I mean, do we have a systemic problem? So a lot of, we talk about burnout, you look at the World Health Organization, it's a workplace phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's really, uh, importantly, I think uh, 2019, they reclassified or redefined it, which was was important for the medical community um, because it allowed us to really hone in on how that's different from a stress syndrome or uh, a mental illness specifically. Uh, it's, It's tied to the workplace. Um, we're in a pandemic. We all went home and worked remotely. 
Um, for anyone who's read some of the, you know, the Forbes headlines and the studies, we're working longer hours as a result, whether it's directed to work longer hours, whether we're getting emails at random times from our bosses or colleagues, whether we feel because we're in our office 24-7 that we should be working. Uh, I've been working remotely for seven years, and it's still a challenge uh, for me to to turn off. Um, and then when we when we do log out, we're immediately there with our family. We don't have that cushion of a commute, perhaps as much as we all will complain about uh, long commutes, especially if you're in a big metropolitan area like Toronto um, or any major city. So I guess. You've looked at population health. You've been in the industry. You've you've worked as a principal in health and productivity at Mercer, and then later as a principal of total health management clients across uh, Canada, and I'm sure with a gl- uh, global scope like you have now. Do we have a systemic problem um, where, as much as an employer might do, there's just a cultural push toward doing more? Yeah. Um, personally, I would say yes. I Your question makes me think about um, a session I was asked to speak at for newer students or newer employees. And someone raised their hand and asked if, you know, in my own perspective, if I didn't put in the hours, blood, sweat and tears, to my job, do they think I would have been as successful or promoted to the level I was? Now, I'm, I like to think I'm, I'm very um, forthright. And my answer to them was, if I didn't do that, the answer is no. So I think we live in a culture that productivity at all costs, at any cost, is rewarded. Um, d- should that change? Absolutely. I think productivity looks uh, like different different things to different people, to different, uh, uh, to different organizations. But I think out of all of this, we've forgotten that, you know, productivity is gained through human interaction outcomes from humans producing. And if us as humans break down, like how a machine breaks down, that line goes, you know, that machine goes offline, right. And people come in and fix it to make sure that it is producing the way it should. We don't have that built in inherently from a human perspective. We don't say, okay, Jason, it looks like you're breaking down. And, you know, it still doesn't sit right with me that, you know, productivity is sort of the standard for which we have to gain burnout because burnout can experience in any facet of life, whether it's caregiving or what have you, but the context of work, it always comes down to productivity. So with that in mind, you know, we don't have that. We don't have keen insight into number one, this individual is breaking down or is having burnout. Number two, we don't really have experts to come in and say, okay, Jason, we see that you're burnt out. So we're going to, you know, provide you or give you a, a list of resources and experts to help fix you and take the time off that you do need. It's very much up to the individual to put up their hand and say, I need help. And for many of us, you know, that asking of help goes unanswered for a very long time until it comes to a point 
where they actually need to go off in a disability. And quite honestly, that's not the right thing to do. We want to get ahead of these types of disability cases because we all know in the industry, the longer someone's off on disability, the harder it is to get them back in. So it, it, it is a systemic issue. We do need to be mindful. We have to look at it just like how we look at other business risks. You know, if, if we know that there's a key area or there's a key risk in the business that is causing fault or issue, we typically see all hands on deck to fix that issue. We don't have that same approach. Historically, maybe things will change because of what we've experienced through COVID. Um, but that's that's the way I liken it. If we are going to commit resources to fix any type of business risk, why aren't those resources being dedicated to this real risk from a human level? And this is why I'm very, very fortunate, very lucky to work with Omer's Oxford because they do believe that they have made it a priority. It is one of the pillars in terms of wellness of, of our people experience. So with that in mind, it, you know, it does take keen leadership and brave leadership to say this is an issue and we are going to earmark resources to it. That's a, that's a, I love that, that parallel or that analogy. Um, it resonates with me. Uh, so the analogy of, you know, if we have capital equipment that's breaking down, well, first of all, we hire a significant amount of resources and, and professionals to take care to maintain preventative maintenance, preventative maintenance professionals. If you are manufacturing, you know what I'm talking about here. And we have a whole line of people, a whole department focused on preventative maintenance of capital equipment. Uh, and if you think about the capital investment we make in people, our people, which is by far the largest, there's not really that preventative maintenance department for our people. And to your point, it's, it's very, we can see if a machine's not working properly, if it's, it's obvious, it's, it's, it's immediate, but we can't see how someone might be thinking, feeling, or behaving. And we cannot ever really put ourselves fully into their shoes because we haven't been part of their entire experience and, and the way that they've uh, experienced work, the world they've, they've been, they've grown up the culture that they've, uh, developed themselves in and so forth. Um, so, but, but it's, it's a perfect analogy because we need to move that way and it does take brave leadership. Have you seen a shift? So we had in 2013, uh, you mentioned psychological safety earlier in our conversation. Um, and, and of course, the, the direct tie-in to what we're talking about today around mental wellness and burnout um, and when what you're doing there at off, uh, uh, Omer's, excuse me, Omer's Oxford. In 2013, the Mental Health Commission of Canada uh, launched uh, the psychological safety standard in the workplace. Just recently, I'm not sure if you're aware, but a couple months ago, I think, there's now a global ISO standard around psych. Okay. Um, for me. But have we seen a shift? Have you have you seen in your, your experience, uh, you know, Mercer now Omers? Have you seen a shift where employers are um, taking the lead toward uh, tackling, you know, the systemic side of of the the issue? I think so. I think there's still work to yeah. do, right? Um, but I I like to think that you know this pandemic has made all of us sit up in different ways and take notice. And for many employers, I will say that they have sat up and taken notice. So I think this was the impetus to see, number one, how far reaching and how deep this issue is, 
And this was just sort of that event that brought it to light. So I do think that we are going to see a movement. We have heard leading organizations, brave organizations um, and employers say, you know what, this is now a business issue for us, business priority for us. We are dedicating those resources. And I think, you know, where we will start to see change is that instead of focusing on, okay, I'm going to, you know, have EAP or EFAP, I'm going to have virtual mental health counseling or just, you know, solution, solution, solution. These are all great. They're all fantastic for those folks who do need it. But, you know, in and itself, if you're just going to offer it as a standalone, it's a Band-Aid solution, right? There needs to be that overarching strategy in terms of, okay, what is our plan now, but also in the future? What are key success measures? What are KPIs? And how do we move that dial, right? I talk to my team internally. This is a slow burn. We're talking culture here, right, Jason, as you mentioned earlier. And those of us who work in organizations and who have worked at changing culture knows that it's like big ship, small rudder. It takes time, right? So people have to be on board with that, especially leadership, because it's not a flash in the pan. It's going to be constant day-to-day nose to grindstone to ensure that, you know, we're making that movement. And then, you know, in retrospect, looking five years later, hopefully we'll see that change. But I'm I'm feeling confident that employers have set up, have taken notice, and will start to go down that strategic route. I think right now, yes, definitely resources are important, especially t- in time of need. But I'd like to see folks start moving towards, you know, what is our game plan, you know, as we drive towards that goalpost. Um. So you mentioned the term, you know, what are our metrics, what are our KPIs around this? And I think that's that's a question probably on a lot of leaders' minds. Um, how do we measure this? Where are we at? What does good look like? What does great look like? What's the standard? Um, and, I, you know, I think the ROI question is starting to, to go away because this is no longer a nice-to-have focus area. This is a must-have as we... Uh, continue to globalize a lot of organizations or industries um, as the human capital and our creativity and our collaboration uh, communication skills become the the most sought after skills. Um, we need to focus, like you said, on, on culture. You mentioned earlier the cost of performance and advancing one's career, um, at least in the past and maybe still existing today, was was putting in, you know, exhaustive hours, doing great work, <clears throat> but putting in the hours and the time, and we need to shift um, what productivity looks like and performance looks like. Great performance looks like for an organization. Maybe that's more long-term thinking than immediate gratification of getting something from someone. But what are we? What's the long game we're trying to play here? So, um, what what metrics are you looking at with your team with Omers? What are what are those KPIs? Yeah, uh, great question. And I will say, um, depending on the industry, it will vary. I know for you know heavy industry manufacturing, obviously safety is key, right? You want to make sure that uh, that's being minded too. But internal to Omer's Oxford, we are very lucky that, you know, we have uh, a multitude of data points we can rely upon. Um, So whether we're looking at our benefits utilization or disability experience, um, how folks are uptaking uh, in terms of uh, different programs, 
Um, we have our employee engagement survey. So we have multiple um, tools that are available to us. And we're actually working internally with our data and technology team. And one of the things that excites me every single day is being innovative in this space and having folks to play in that sandbox with, which is, you know, um, part of our great story here at Omer's. So working with um, our colleagues and developing a dashboard to look and measure in real time burnout rates, or I should say close to real time burnout rates. Um, looking at how folks are multitasking or where they're, uh, how they're spending, I don't wanna say how, but where they're spending their off hours. Um, so I know it feels a bit big brother, but at the same time, we do have confidentiality, uh, privacy built into this. We work very closely with our privacy team to make sure that this is our, of our utmost concern but you know these are key indicators that will be able to demonstrate to us not only where we are at but also where we could go and if there's a need to pinpoint or look you know at how we we can pivot or if we need to shift gears in real time we're able to do that and this is one thing that you know I haven't been able to do even in my prior life so being able to get my hands dirty and actually see what is going on from an organizational standpoint, it is number one, so rewarding, but number two, so important from an information perspective. I love that. So number one, we need to make informed decisions based on data and probably a combination of the subjective um, data that we might get from managers, leaders, employees, everyone, all stakeholders, um, but have the data and, and create a culture where everyone's okay to collect that data, to continue to contribute to that data, but holding individual privacy as, as the utmost importance uh, and making those informed decisions. Um, so just, here's a question I had. I, I always wanted to ask you and you kind of, you, you kind of prompted me here, so I gotta do it. Um, you, what would you tell your consultant self now, right, what would you can tell your consultant self to be a better consultant uh, or a more informed consultant, maybe would be a, a better way of positioning it to your previous clients um, based on now your, how long have you been with Omers? Almost a year. So now that you're one year in with Omers, uh, director of global wellness benefits strategy with an organization that has puts uh, a priority on supporting mental well-being of all all stakeholders what have you learned about the internal challenges to get something that off off the ground measurement etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. what do you tell your consultant self if anything yeah um that's a pretty loaded question jason so, <laughs> and disclaimer for all previous clients of leanne right no i i listen i hold my previous colleagues uh, from all walks of life and all my employers with the utmost regard. Um, and same with clients. But if I were to, you know, go back and whisper in my ear, maybe, you know, two, maybe two years ago, a year ago, would be that it's okay not to be okay. You don't mm -hmm. have to prove that you're a superstar every day. You know, uh, I heard this analogy that really res you know, resounded with me. Our garden isn't in full bloom every day, so neither should we, right? 
Um, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have an off day. It's okay to go to bed early and disconnect. Um, you will not fault if you take care of yourself. And I think that is the biggest take home from um, message for me um, in this past year is that I need, we all need to make ourselves a priority. If we don't invest ourselves, no one else is going to do it for us, right? So whether it is getting enough sleep, meditating, um, you know, getting active, eating right, it, it is so important that we at least look at one or a few of those and start to actually engage and, like I said, just make it a top priority. Well said. Uh, well said. Um, leaders need to take care of ourselves, right? Um, first and foremost. Um, the one, you know, you, the, the, the whole airplane, you put on your mask first. Um, you know, I, I, I heard a wonderful quote uh, or I quote a wonderful uh, individual it was maybe about a month ago where they said the leader of five years ago doesn't exist today. Um, and, and what she was relating to is if, if as a manager or as a leader of people that you're not starting to implement and integrate psychological safety into your team dynamic and supporting a, an environment where it's okay to make a mistake it's absolutely welcomed and encouraged that you voice your opinion and you contribute in any way that you feel uh, your perspective would uh, contribute to the team and that um, we're non-judgmental of each other. Uh, if you're not starting to do those and more things, you know, you don't exist anymore. So leaders in a lot of way, managers I've also heard, it's, it's becoming more around coaching. Uh, as well as part of that role. Um, so is, is it a challenge? Like, what do, you, what do we tell leaders or managers, or what do you tell the leaders and managers there at Omers who I think, like yourself, myself, want to see people just absolutely um, be overly proud of the work that they do, that they're exceeding their own expectations, that they're you know, thriving and uh, they're producing top quality work uh, and feeling great about it. Um, when we're seeing signs of, of burnout or uh, noticing someone struggling or maybe the work is not as good as, it, as high quality as it used to, but we don't think that's necessarily the person, there's something else happening, um, or individuals continuing to try and perform their best. You know, as a good coach, I relate it back to sport is, you know, as a, you know, the great coaches that I had were folk, they really knew when to, you know, maybe that's not the right term for the workplace, but when to push me a little bit beyond the way I was thinking about something and struggling, you know, learning a new skill or refining my, it was baseball, finding my swing or improving, you know, the way I threw the ball and et cetera. Um, and when to, to kind of step back a bit and, I think it's a difficult dynamic. Um, and as much as at, a at an organizational leadership level, we can um, uh, continue to do the things that you talked about to, to, to build and help develop a culture of care. It's really those frontline managers that um, I think need these kind of tools. So you know, what kind of advice, 
would you give any manager right now that might have someone who uh, on their team or people on their team that they think, you know, is this a performance issue and they're not, you know, maybe trying as hard or putting their real work into it? Or is this something else that we should address in a different way? Yeah, great question. Um, You know, being a a people leader myself and, you know, amongst other colleagues here um, as well at Elmer's Oxford, you know, we're, we're all in a bit of a pickle, right? Um, we're looking after our team, their well-being, um, making sure our goals are, are being met that we had, you know, put forward at the start of the year. Um, while at the same time, looking after our own individual wellness, right? Um, so what I would, what we have said to our people leaders, uh, what we call managers here internally, is that, you know, in order for us to recognize or understand when someone's maybe faltering is to engage in those conversations. Don't wait until, you know, we see those signs already popping up. But if you have regular one-to-ones, get to know that person a little bit better, right? Outside of the productivity, outside of the work issue, because you will start to understand what is going on behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe not, depending on the individual. But I think often, you know, we're scared. People leaders are scared to ask, how are you? Really, how are you? Right? So leaning in, having those tough conversations, and we have worked with our people leaders and our awesome growth and development team to equip these managers in order to feel comfortable to start asking those questions and knowing that you may not get a response. And that's okay, too, right? And that's when we start pivoting, what can I do to help support you? Right? Again, two-way street. We need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. We need to ask how folks are doing, especially, you know, if we still find ourselves in a remote or even hybrid um, working model. I think it's just, again, giving space, being empathetic, being human, just, you know, asking those questions, right? Having a valid curiosity as to what is going on with your group. And then, you know, on the flip side, if you're feeling you know, out of sorts or a bit stuck, then I think that's one's cue to, to raise your hand and have that same conversation with, you know, your, your one up. And with that in mind, um, often we like to think that we have to have people leaders ask, how are you? And if, you know, if someone's struggling here, we like to say that you will never be judged. It will never be held against you. Step forward, ask that help. We will get you that help. Wonderful. It's a brave question right now, right? And hopefully in three, four, five years, that's, that's a common question that, that people leaders are asking their teams. Um, or a question that maybe even, even better doesn't need to be asked because there's just open conversation around this. Absolutely. And I think, Jason, that's where you know, vulnerability right, is so important as a people leader. Not only owning when you, know, you messed up or there was a mistake made on your own account, I mean, we're human again, right? We make mistakes and, and that's okay. But, you know, if you're having an off day as a people, you own it, right? If, you know, you know that maybe you said something at a turn and, and it wasn't taken the right way or is misunderstood, own it. I think, you know, for us, we're in a position where we can model that behavior. So why don't we? There's nothing wrong with that vulnerability. Having an off day, going back to my earlier point, um, you know, even for for those individuals who have mental health concerns, if, if they're willing and, and, you know, open to share, I think that's part of the battle as well, right? It's just saying it's, 
this is my story. This is who I am, you know, warts and all, and you know, put it on the table. And quite honestly, I've never felt to have been in a position to do that until I've arrived here at Elmer's Oxford and very, very lucky um, recognizing that, that I have been able to, to bring my true self and be feel open and safe enough to be vulnerable, um, both in an individual contributor capacity, but also as a people leader. I mean, th that insight's brilliant. I think I couldn't have said it any better. Um, and I, coming from, for me, the epitome of performance in so many ways. Um, when we first met, I remember we went out, well, met in person. We went out for, uh, I think, a quick coffee. Um, and uh, one of the first things that you did say, hey, this is, this is the way I like to work with folks, right? This is my expectation and this is what you should expect of me. Um, and, and it was really about, you know, we're going to have a great time working together and we're going to do some great work, but we, we have to structure, we have to hold each other accountable. We have to communicate early and often. Um, so no surprise to me, you know, your, your career growth, uh, and isn't Omer's lucky to have you as their, their director of global wellness and benefits strategy. Um, and for any, you know, leader right now thinking, I, you know, I just need more out of my people, whatever, whatever might be going through your minds. Um, you know, uh, Leanne, you, you admitted, admittedly said three to four times you've experienced burnout, at least through your career. And, and you're a top performer. And anyone that I speak with would, would say the exact same thing um, and contributing a ton of value to the organization. So um, important conversation that we had today. I'm really grateful for your time and uh, and talking about this, being vulnerable, uh, being very open, and uh, of course bringing some tangible focal points for me. For the key key takeaways for me is is data is is very important and uh, privacy is important, but most it, it's really a a stance that an organization has to take to say, hey, um, this is a is a is a is a principle. This is a value within an organization that we will action we'll focus on and uh we'll give everyone opportunity to contribute to um, and put programs and resources in place but also focus on that cultural aspect of what does this look like what does this feel like how can we support different people at different levels in the organization uh super fantastic um you know one one last question just on my mind is it, it, what we talked about today is a lot of prevention right we talked about burnout um you know, recognizing the personal um, warning signs and, and taking time to look back, which, which I'm going to do as homework today. Um, and and what, what what are those for me or what are those for, for any individual? Um, but really around prevention. And what do you do now? Like, I know you have a great record collection. Is it music? I know, of course, there's a pandemic, but I know you like to travel. What is your, what is your current routine Um to uh, combat potentially burnout, um, but still operate and and and, uh, and peak performance. Which what you said now you have the opportunity to to really take your whole experience and, and give that to an organization like Omer's that that um, is uh, set the foundation for you. Yeah. What do you um, do? There's a there's a lot that I do. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Um, it's like I had to prescribe myself this action plan in order to bounce back. Um, 
or bounce forward. I don't like bouncing back, bounce forward from burnout. Um, so with that in mind, I, I meditate. Now I know that's okay. not everyone's gig to be honest. So um, what I typically do is a guided meditation no more than 10 minutes after that. I just, I can't sit still. Or if I don't have enough time in the day to do that, I find a quiet place in my house just to collect myself, not think about anything specific, not think about work, but just to collect myself before I start the day. Um, and one of the things that I've learned to do is to check in with myself. Like, like if I was talking to a friend, like, what can I do to help you? So I, and I know it sounds a bit corny, but I do ask myself, like, what do I need right now? What help do I need? What is missing? So sometimes there's nothing. Sometimes there's, you know, a laundry list of things that are wrong. And, and you know, I'll commit to maybe touching on one or two of them. Um, the other few items is making sure I have time built for me. So I have a structured day um, where I can plan for it. I will start my day at a certain time and I will close out at a certain time. Yes, my job sometimes requires me to be on, but I equally know that I need to be my best self, both at work and play. I need time away from work on a day-to-day basis, especially as we worked from home. Um, the other item as well is, is sleep, eating right. And quite honestly, for me personally, is is therapy. I, I need to have that um, on a consistent basis throughout this pandemic. Without that, I, I think I would be in not a great state. So those things collectively is what has helped me sort of bring me through all of this. I love that. I love looking at it as a, a prescription for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's liberating. That's going to help um, uh, face the challenges that you know you're going to face uh, every day in the workplace, um, and and build your resiliency and your hardiness and so forth. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, well, again, thank you so much for your time today to t- to, t- to join us at Adversity, talk about uh, mental well-being, provide insight, and and um, some wonderful initiatives that you're doing at Omers that I know a lot of our viewers and our, our listeners can take away. And, um, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Amazing. Jason, thank you so much. It's been a privilege and honor. Okay. Well, right. have a great day. Stay safe and, and talk soon. You as well. Take care. Take care.